And so if you've been with us as a church, you know this, if, if this is uh, like, if you're visiting right now, I'll, I'll fill you in. We started this new series, that's what we do when we preach, we preach through the Bible, and we either use a book or we use a series, and then we use, you know, the Bible to work ourselves through this. And we started a series called Campfire Stories, and the whole idea behind this series is Jesus spending time with his disciples, or Paul spending time with all those who were in the early church and all those church plants he started, they would have been sitting around either a table at times or a campfire at times or walking on the road and they'd be sitting around and they'd be talking about the things of God. And there would be these times where they'd say, hey, uh, so you, Jesus, you said you're gonna build your church, but what does that mean? Because we don't even know what the church is. And we would, he would have filled them in and he did. There are all these different descriptions where he explains to them what it means to be the church. Now, if you ask somebody today, hey, what the church, what, what's the church? Or if I asked you, you know, what, what is the church? How would you answer? For some people, they would say it's a movement or it's an institution or it's a humanitarian aid group, you know, or it's a political force or whatever, right? Like a religious group. Well, how did Jesus answer that? Rather than giving it those kinds of answers, he used all sorts of descriptions that were really familiar to the people. He said, he and Paul and others, they, they used words like this, it's the bride of Christ, which is what we looked at two weeks ago. Or it is sheep. The church is sheep, the sheep of God. Or the church, they are warriors of Christ, and Christ is the commander. Or the church, you know, they're fishers of men. Uh, or the church, they are sojourners, right? They are exiles. Or the church, the church is the temple. Or the church, just God's workmanship, right? Like just down this list. And that's how they answered it. And that's what we've been doing in this series is answering that question, what's the church? from Jesus and the other apostles and how they answered that using this imagery. And so today we look at a, an, an amazing call and description of the church. And it is that we are workers of God's harvest. It's the harvest festival, so we had to do the harvest today. And it works out great. We are workers of God's harvest. Spiritual farmers, if you wanna think of it that way. And it is an incredible and an awesome responsibility that God has given us. He could have used any sorts of means to declare his wonders and his works and his miracles to a lost world. And he already does in many ways. He uses things like nature. He uses things like uh, what we might see in the stars. He can use things like love between two people. Like he can use all these different means to get our attention. But rather than using, say, angels as his primary means and declares of his work, he uses the church, he uses us as people. We, we get to declare what God has done, just like David did a moment ago, and just like we get to do. So that's what we're gonna talk about, what it looks like to be workers of God's harvest. Let's pray first. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. We ask that you would instruct us. We do not want to just look at this. We don't wanna just read the text and then find ourselves uh, moving on but we want this to be life-changing. So Lord, we pray that you would lead us this time in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so some of you know this, about a year ago, a year ago in two weeks, my wife and I had our third child, a little baby girl. And so we have a boy and then a girl and then the third girl, or, or I mean the third kid who's a girl. And her name's Cedar, like the tree, and there's awesome verses to this. But what you may not know is it took us over a week to figure out if that's what we were, really wanna call her. And so, we were just struggling. And in the hospital we left and they're like, you need a name to be your baby. And we're like, we don't know yet. 
okay, well, you can go home, but if you're not back by the end of the week, you're gonna have to drive to Richmond. And we're like, well, I'm not doing that. So we gotta figure that out in a, in a, in a week. So we had a week. We, had to, we took it to the last day. I mean, I rushed down there through like, right before rush hour, right during it in Charlottesville to get to the hospital to hand them the paperwork. She wasn't even there. And they're like, oh, you can't do it. And I'm like, you gotta do it. I'm not driving to Richmond, right? It was a whole ordeal. Because what we were struggling with was like what her name should be, her first and her second name, first and middle name. So we named her Cedar and her middle name is Harvest. And we named her that because of the significance there. And we were just debating should her first name be Harvest or Cedar, you know? And so we're going back and forth. We stuck with Cedar. But her middle name carries great significance and it, it, and, it, and it relates to this morning as well because what we see with the harvest and the spiritual meaning here is this ongoing process of planting and watering and then there being a great return and fruit that is dedicated to the Lord and given over to him. And when we look at scripture and this idea of a harvest, we recognize that we all give our time and our resources to something and giving it to the eternal harvest is a top priority in the kingdom of God. God's kingdom involves planting and watering and harvesting. So listen to these words in Matthew 9. Jesus says this, or, or the description is this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Also, listen to this statement in John chapter 4, verse 35. It says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest now. Jesus' perspective of the time of the harvest and renewal is today, not just something way down the road. So what does it mean to be a worker of God's harvest? A church made up of spiritual farmers. Some of you are, are farmers, you know, like legit ones. Others of us are posers. We have a little garden, like the size of a car or something. What's it mean to be a worker in God's harvest. Well, there's several different ideas here. First of all, workers in God's harvest are born again Christians who understand they were saved not only to enjoy eternal life and to worship God forever, but also for a task here on earth, an awesome and incredible task and responsibility. The task of casting spiritual seed in faith that God will make it grow just like he made it grow in their own lives. First Corinthians 3, 6 says, I planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed, but God has been making it grow. You know, like a farmer who wakes up each morning to work the land every day in any weather, so we as spiritual farmers wake up each morning with an eternal purpose. It's to be the mouthpiece for God's plan of salvation found in the good news of Jesus Christ. God could use any mechanism, but he chose us. Let's embrace that calling. Let's live it out. He primarily uses us in to fulfill his work, to proclaim his good news. Another idea we see with harvest workers in scripture is that they are to plant the seed of God's word. You know, what are they planting? In real life, we plant, you know, I see pumpkins, we plant corn, we plant watermelons. We tried to plant some stuff. It didn't really grow that well, so I got to retry next year. But when it comes to spiritual life, what do we plant? We plant God's word. 
We want to provide repeated opportunities in this community for people to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. Not just one time, but multiple times in a year and throughout their lifetime to respond in faith and in hope that it'll take, that it'll grow, that there will be a spiritual awakening, that they will go from death to life. Again, spiritual renewal is not just going from like good to better. It's going from being spiritually dead and eternally dead to being spiritually alive from death to life. When you plant the seed of God's word, it does not always fully grow. The spiritual soil of someone's heart might not be right in that moment. And I'd like us to read through here in Mark chapter four. And I want you to see these four different types of paths or soil. Each one of us is one of these paths. Which one are you? Let's read this. Mark 4 says, again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he had to get into a boat and then go out into the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables and in his teaching, he said this to them. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed, some of the seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since they had no root, it withered away. A third set of seed fell on among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. Lastly, other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30 fold and 60 fold and a hundred fold. And he said, he who has ears, let him hear. Now the disciples didn't really understand what he was talking about. And so he actually goes on to explain what these are. And this is a fascinating moment for us as students of God's word to see that when you read God's word, sometimes you're wondering, what does that mean? And with parables even more so, it can be a little bit difficult to understand. And so you want to use the context of the whole passage or you want to use God's word in its entirety, not just one little snippet. Right? You want to be good students with, of, of God's word with that. And in this case, with this parable, we have the great privilege as readers to keep reading and then Jesus literally explains this parable. So there's no guessing games about like, what are these paths? If he didn't say this next part, there'd be all sorts of different theories and opinions. And even though they might be decently okay, they might not be accurate. In this case, totally accurate. It's awesome. So just a a principle of hermeneutics of, of interpreting God's word. Sometimes you need to keep reading and then see what's he say next. In this case, Jesus says this in verse 13. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So he explains, he says, the sower sows the word, right? So what is the seed in this parable? It's God's word, all right? And then he says, first of all, these along the path where the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown. In the second path, it's rocky ground. These are the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they they receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Yet when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And then there are others that are sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those, this last path, those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. 
I'm gonna pause there. So in this passage, when it comes to this idea of a harvest, we see all sorts of different plots of land. And if you're like me, man, I've planted stuff. Sometimes it grows, sometimes it doesn't. It's really weird when all the weeds grow, but all the grass seed and all the other good stuff doesn't grow. I'm like, what's going on here, right? When it comes to all these different paths spiritually, each of us are one of those before the Lord. Some of us can totally relate. We have heard God's word, and then it's like Satan just takes that thing. And we don't even remember. We just get back in our cars and drive home. Move on about our day with all the worries of tomorrow still on our shoulders, and we could have taken care of business with God right there. Others of us, we hear it, and it grows, and we're like, man, this is great. I love Jesus. And a week later, we don't care. The tribulation of the world, the persecution, it could be a trial at work. It could be pressure in your home. Whatever it is, it makes us say, you know what? I thought my life would be different a week later. Like, all my problems would be different or gone. Well, no, you still have the problems, and God uses those to refine you and sanctify you and make you more into his image and to declare who he is in the midst of that. And for whatever reason, it makes you bounce. The third group, man, we can totally relate to this too. Here you have, like, is the one, the path of the thorns? And Jesus says, these thorns, they represent three things, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. And when that takes root, when that begins to be, it's just like a thorn over top of some plant you're trying to, you're trying to grow. And it chokes it out. And we've all been there too in one way or another, and some of us are right there. You're like, yeah, if I were to pick one of those paths, that's where my heart is. All sorts of things are coming in. They're just encroaching on my heart. And then the last path here, is the one that is good soil and it bears good fruit. I'll tell you, all of us are in one of these paths and if you're in one of the first three there, this is the kind of day where you wanna take that to the Lord. You wanna confess it, say, Lord, he was talking through these paths and of all of them, this one just is jumping off the page. I wanna take that to you, Lord. Would you help me work through this. I confess that I have allowed the cares of the world or I confess that I have allowed the trial that I'm going through to be greater in my mind and in my heart and the affections of my heart than your love for me and your direction for me. Or that first one, I mean, that's just like total blindness because Satan just comes in and takes it just like a bird takes a seed, which I told you, was it a bird or the squirrels? I mean, they just love all the seeds I plant. And that could be like in your life. It comes in and takes it out. And if that's you and you're hearing, and you're like, I don't really know what path I am, you, you might be that one. And that's where you need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to awaken my mind so that when the word is planted, it actually takes root in my heart. So if you're one of those three, today's the kind of day where you wanna take that to the Lord and allow him to do business in your heart. And lastly, if you're that last group, you're like, you know, God is working in me. I'm seeing him work and it's good, then let me remind you that you can fall into the trap of one of those other paths if you do not cultivate a deep walk with the Lord. Just like in, a, in any relationship, any marriage, say, like if you just allow things to grow stale, well, it can go so with the Lord in which you just allow there to be a deadness, spiritual deadness. And so I encourage you, if that's you, just to... Hang on. All right. Allow your heart 
to be humble before the Lord, recognizing where you are is not by your own doing. It ain't because you're smart enough, ain't because you're skilled enough, ain't because you are the best in the world spiritually, right? It is because God has brought you there. And so keep your heart humble before him. He'll continue to grow good things in your heart. All right, so the sower, he plants those in those different paths. What is he planting? He's planting God's word. This is the gospel. This is a whole mixture of the, the, the story of God from Genesis to Revelation, it is specific verses about the gospel. So for instance, the ones that say, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is a truth. It might sound cliche, but it is a truth that you can cling to and hang on to. This is God's word that is being rooted. Any story about who God is, particularly Jesus Christ, what he has done for you, dying on the cross, that wasn't some random legend or some story. He died on the cross for our sin and God used that as the means to pay for our sin. So we don't stand before him on our own doing. We don't stand before him having to say like, well, I did this and that and the other. And is that good enough to spend time with you? He's like, none of that matters. You couldn't do any, you could have been the best person in the world. None of that matters when it comes to eternity with God. The only thing that covers us, makes us right with God, reconciles us is an atoning work. It's called the propitiation of Jesus Christ. He took our place, all right? And so that is what we sow. But in addition to sowing that, you also have a real life story of God's work in your life. And so uh, think of it as sowing the word of God and the testimony of God, the testimony of God and his work in your life, exalting who he is. I just heard a week ago, somebody said, man, there might not be, uh, people, people say there's no evidence for God. If they're looking for evidence to God, they gotta just look right at me. And that person was talking about all that God has done in their life. And it was wonderful just to hear a, a little snippet of that. So you have a testimony. If you've walked with the Lord, if he has changed your life, and in these conversations, it might be the full, full testimony how you came to know Christ. It could also be in simple ways. You're just sharing, like say at the workplace or in, um, in school or wherever it might be. You might be among people. And I, I encourage you to bring things back to the Lord. So say they're sharing about some real big scary thing that's going on in their life. And you say, yeah, I was there and I remember praying about that and the Lord gave me peace. You know, you're not really preaching at them, but you're re-bringing the Lord into situations that for most people, they're just kind of working through it and they're not sure what's happening there. I encourage you to bring the Lord into the situations. You can be talking to somebody and they're talking about their family, a challenge with their child. And you say, yeah, I had that I had same thing. And when I was working through that, I just found myself praying over my child at night or reading some Bible stories to them and really help ground them a little bit. Whatever it looks like, Bring in the testimony of God. So these are things that we plant. Well, in addition to planting the word, a harvest worker waters and fertilizes that seed. Spiritually watering the seed of God's word is done in what I'd say two major ways. One is through prayer and one is through serving, right? So you don't just proclaim God's word. It's kind of like a three-pronged approach. You proclaim, but you also pray and you also serve. And so this is what this looks like for us. When it comes to praying, I encourage you to not just Proclaim God's word to somebody, uh, explain the gospel, and then walk away. Pray for them as you get back in your car or when you wake up the next day. I mean, begging the Lord to move, not just some lame prayer. Like you genuinely want the Lord to move in their life. Pray over them. Drive around and pray for the parts of your town. If you're in a small neighborhood, you could walk around it. Where I live, like, I mean, everyone's like on five acres or more. So you gotta, you know, I, pr I drive. But just drive and proclaim and uh, and, uh, and play worship music or pray over your neighborhood, whatever it might look like, 
pray and pray and pray. I want you to be reminded that God works through those prayers. In fact, some of you are even here because you've been in the crosshairs of our prayers in the years past. And so not only proclaim, but also pray. And then thirdly, you wanna serve. Serve people, serve them well. Don't be people who just like shout at them about who Jesus is, but also loving them very practically through acts of service, backing up your words with a demonstration of love. This could be responding to needs that they have. This could also be creating opportunities that they didn't ask you about, but you just wanted to serve them. For instance, I just think about this because it's the fall time in my own yard and everything. Maybe you need to go to your neighbor's house and rake their leaves as a chance to say like, listen, I'm just like serving you just, just because. This isn't something that, Uh, You asked me to do, I just want to do it for you. Find ways to serve those. All right, so harvest workers. We plant seed, which is speaking God's word or God's testimony. You want to pray, you want to serve. But lastly, in scriptures, you look at all these different descriptions of harvest workers, and it's used in and out in different ways. One thing we see is that harvest workers are not judged for turning their work into fruit. That's God's responsibility. He's the one that makes that thing grow. But harvest workers are judged for and held accountable for their faithfulness in the act. They are responsible for planting and watering. In Matthew 25, Jesus captures this contrast really well. He says to the faithful harvest worker, or the landowner says, uh, says this, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But then there was in the same story, there is a lazy worker. And to this lazy worker, the, or the lazy worker is talking to the landowner and the lazy worker says, master, I knew that you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you didn't scatter any seed. So I was afraid and then I went and I hid your talent in the ground. This guy was unfaithful in the task that he was given. Friends, as harvest workers, we are judged for our faithfulness. Each one of us has been given a different allotment of responsibility in God's kingdom. Are you faithful or are you merely existing? It's hard to be faithful when the task is difficult or when the results are not immediate. I found that one of the greatest ways that the enemy attacks us is by convincing us to give up. We pray for or we work hard in some sort of situation, usually a relationship or some sort of scenario God's called us to. And you don't see fruit right away. And so you're like, ah, I'm giving up on that. The enemy wants you to give up in these ways. But Galatians 6, 9 has a fantastic verse for us. It says, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's remember that because of Jesus Christ, transformation can happen in any person's life. If you met David last Sunday, maybe you bumped into him at the store and you're like, God can't save that guy. Well, that's not true at all. Not only do we have his testimony that God does work, but we remember God's promises. They are greater than any sort of setback you might see. This could be in your spouse. This could be in your child or your parents or a loved one, or a coworker, or your boss, or whatever it might be. Let's remember that God can save anyone. Christ's work on the cross and his healing hand were not only miracles in the Bible, but they are still alive today. And so one day, the Lord of the harvest, he will reap his harvest. And he says this in Matthew 13. 
He said, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And at harvest time, then I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat and bring that into my barn. Friends, one day we're all gonna stand before the Lord and we're either gonna be ones that are bound and then cast away or those that are bound and then brought into his barn or the heavenly realms for a wedding supper with the bridegroom. And so my challenge for you as you've been hearing this throughout the whole morning, not just this time right now, but over the last hour and a half or so, we're spending time reflecting on, trying to focus our hearts in the midst of all the nonsense that we're gonna go home to or wake up to tomorrow. This is a sacred moment for each one of us to do business with the Lord. Are we a path spiritually that is not bearing fruit? If so, let's take that to the Lord. If we are somebody that, given today being a moment of, if I had to stand before the Lord, what kind of, uh, would I be considered a weed that's bound up or would I be fruit and brought into his presence? Where are you on that as well? Wherever we are, we bring ourselves to God. And you know what's awesome about Jesus is he welcomes us. We have this thinking, I remember a moment ago I said the enemy deceives us greatly to tell us to give up. Another way I consistently see, particularly in our town, remember I, I came from across the mountains. So like I, I'm here and I'm like looking with a fresher look than some of you who grew up, you know, you were, you were birthed in the dirt here. Other, others of, like I'm looking at, and one thing he, the enemy does in this town is he convinces you that if you turn to God, that he's going to shame you or he's going to push you away, say you're not good enough, say that you, you don't earn it. Everybody else, you know, everyone else is worthy of it, but yeah, you drew the short stick and the enemy's telling us that. And it's, it's a lie because he's a deceiver. And so I tell you the truth on this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. So friends, if you need to do that today, today is your opportunity. If you want to have further conversations about it, if you'd like to pray with somebody about it after this time or during the song, we're going to, we have a prayer tent over here. It's the tent with the walls. You can go there, talk with people. We would love to share this more with you, explain more with you, uh, talk through any questions you might have. Right? I understand not everything is an immediate moment of, um, of clarity. So feel free to talk with us, talk with me. But the reality is several of us know exactly what God is tapping on our heart. And week after week or year after year, we just set it aside. And I'm here to urge you no longer, no longer live that way. So Maddie, you and the team, how about you guys lead us in this last song? As they're preparing, remind us as harvest workers, we have an incredible and an awesome and a joy-filled and a rewarding responsibility. We have a divine purpose as a harvest worker for the Lord. And we get the privilege of standing before the Lord of the harvest, our heavenly landowner, to say, here's what we were able to present. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for giving us this description of...